It is good to see all of you here tonight. I appreciate your presence, and, and I know that uh, your Monday's often a difficult time because you've gotten back into work week and everything, and a lot of things going on, but I appreciate your presence tonight, and it's good for uh, Kim and myself to be back with you, and uh, appreciate all the things that you said. You, you've been an encouragement to us. You know, there's a fine art to giving compliments. Um, that's not as easy as we may think it is. I was preaching on one occasion and uh, well, I'd preached on the topic of hell and there was a lady who came out after services and said, Steve, I want you to know that I didn't know what hell was like until I heard you preach. And <laughs> she left me wondering. I didn't know if that was a compliment or an insult. But anyway, uh, you you haven't made me wonder and you've been very kind and it's, it's good to have you all. Uh, here tonight. It's good to see Clarence uh, as well. You know, we just had Clarence over. We had an event uh, just a few weeks ago at Carnes, and we called it a senior rally. And we had preachers that were um, mature. Is that all right? <laughs> we had some seasoned preachers uh, come. Uh, before, between the four of them that we had scheduled, they had 266 years of preaching experience and what we did is we advertised it in this way because people would say well what's a senior rally uh, they're familiar with youth rallies but what's a senior rally and we would just tell people what's well, the same thing as a youth rally just a lot slower and uh, that's that's how we uh, promote it but it was a great great event and uh, we hope to do it again next year and we'd love to have you all come over and be a part of that it was a it was a good day tonight well let me tell you tomorrow night have you ever wondered how, how can we just be New Testament Christians? How do we escape the trappings of religion and the, the sects and the denominations? And is it possible just to get back to just being a Christian and a Christian only? That is such a foreign concept to so many people um, because all they have ever known of religion is branded religion. I'm a this, I'm a that, I'm something else. And that's all they know of Christianity. Well, the Bible doesn't present that kind of a view of the church. And we're going to talk about that tomorrow night and, and discuss how we can just be Christians and Christians only. And it's really an appealing message. What's well, the message of God? And, and it, it frees you from so many structures and rules and regulations that people kind of tack on you and say, well, to be what we are, you have to do this and this and this. You get to take all that off and just be a Christian only. And uh, I, I think that that would be very appealing to, to all of us. So if you have somebody maybe that you're interested or have been studying with or want uh, to, to hear a sermon along those lines, can we just be Christians? Um, be sure and invite them to come back tomorrow night. And again, on Wednesday night, we're going to be talking about some things, uh, some reasons, actually three reasons why you ought to be a Christian. Or if you already are, why you need to be faithful as a Christian. Uh, and, and I want to appeal again, leverage your influence in the next two days. Speak to someone uh, who maybe is not a Christian 
and just say, w would you come? We're, we got this guy from Knoxville. Uh, come and, and uh, join us tomorrow night. He's going to preach about, uh, you know, a topic. He's asked us to invite people. Um, your, your influence is more powerful than you give yourself credit for. Uh, if you ask people, a lot of people will honor your request and come. Uh, if you know of a Christian who, when you look at their life, you see there's some, they're, they're getting farther from God rather than closer to God. Um, give them a call and, and invite them to come to be here because I think we have some motivations that will help them to be faithful or to become a child of God in the first place. Tonight, I want to talk about that song that we just sang. He is my everything. He is my all. A number of years ago, when I was living in Kentucky, we had just uh, completed an expansion to the church building where I was preaching. It, in essence, doubled the size of the building. We were going to have an open house. It was Saturday night. The ladies on the third floor of the church building had uh, in the children's library had finished up a beautiful mural on the wall, you know, the rainbow and all these colors and Noah's Ark and everything. And, and I was doing a walkthrough. It was probably 8 o'clock Saturday night because the next morning we were going to have a lot of guests and a lot of people coming, like a homecoming, and they were going to see the new building and all that. And, and when I got up there on the third floor, I saw in that children's library, they left all the cans of paint up in the library. And I thought, okay, well, I'll just, we have an elevator now, so I'll just take those cans of paint and hit the button and go down, and, and it won't be any problem. So I stacked up those cans. I had six cans of paint, and I was carrying them. And I took one step out of the library, and the top can toppled off and landed on its edge and popped the lid off and fell over and UT Orange just filled our brand new, having never been walked on carpet. Um, and mind you, UT Orange doesn't fly in blue Kentucky, okay? And, and uh, I'm, well, my first thought was run and act shocked in the morning. Just what in the world has happened? Uh, my, my second thought was, oh, they're going to fire me. Um, and then I stood there and I thought, what in the world am I going to do? How do I fix this? And, and it took me a while and I finally got a wet vac and uh, wet dry vac and, and I, I spent hours um, getting it up off of the the carpet. But my problem in that moment was I knew what I needed. I needed to get that orange up out of the carpet, but I didn't know how to do it. And that's where we are, I think, maybe a lot of folks, because they say, oh, I want Jesus to be my everything. I know that's what I need to be, and I know that's what I want for myself. I, I want to be a totally sold out, committed Christian. But I don't know how to get there because it's not happening for me. I, I, I struggle and, and I, I'm not invested like I should be. And, and, you know, when I look over my life, I can go back 10 years and I'm really about where I was 10 years ago. There's not a whole lot of change in my dedication and my spiritual depth. And, and I'm just kind of like floating. I, I, want, I, I want Jesus to be my everything, but I don't know how to do it. Well... That's what I want to talk about tonight. 
I want to give you three things that you can do that will help to, uh, well, enable you to make Jesus your everything. Uh, we sing songs that pretty much say that's what he is for us. Um, we just sang the song, he is my everything, he is my all, he's my everything, both great and small. We, we sing that song. Do you know this song, All of Self and None of Thee? Do y'all sing that? Um, it's in some song books. They've taken it out of some, probably because it makes them uncomfortable. Uh, but that song starts, none of self and all, or none of, uh, all of self and none of thee. And then by the time you, you, you get through it, the last verse, you're singing none of self and all of thee. And that would be great. Um, we sing a song, All to Jesus I Surrender. We sing songs like, um, Jesus is all the world to me. Aren't you glad God doesn't deal with us as he did the first century church with Ananias and Sapphira? You, you remember what happened to them? They didn't tell the truth, and they fell over dead. I wonder if God dealt with us in the same way today when we sang the song we just sang. Were we standing when we sang that? I wonder how many of us would fall out because we said, Jesus is all the world to me. He is my everything, and I'm not sure that that's the truth that we're singing or some of us may be singing. Could it be that that may be, oh, I'd like it to be that way, but it's sure it's not really. We need to live so that we can sing those songs truthfully and not be lying to God or to the person sitting in the pew next to us that we're teaching and admonishing. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna give you three things, and, and hopefully they're easy to remember that will help us to, to make Jesus our everything. And the first thing is this, invest yourself in the work of God, in the kingdom of God, in the church. Many years ago, my mom and dad would go out and take those, those folding chairs. You remember the one with the straps that are woven together and they, they'd unfold and you'd sit on them and um, they'd go out in the heat of the summer and sit in the sun and watch Little League Baseball. Can you imagine that? They loved Little League Baseball. But I don't suppose my mom's been to a Little League game in, oh, I don't know, 40 years, longer than that. Wonder why. Why did they like it so much at one time, but they don't anymore? You know the answer to that. They had an investment in it at one time. Their son, you know, I was playing ball. So they went to the ball games because they had invested in that. And so they were there and they sat in the heat and they did all those things that parents do because of their investment. But then when their investment was gone, what'd they do? They lost interest. They didn't go to that game because, man, Little League Baseball is compelling. Those games are so close, and, and the, the level of competition is so amazing. That's not why people go to Little League games. They go because they have an investment. Our interest follows our investment. 
You know why I never read the Wall Street Journal? Because I don't have any money. Uh, you know, but if I did and I had my money invested, boy, that, I'd be interested in that paper because it, it would tell me about the things, but I don't have an investment in it. So therefore, I don't want to read that. It, it's a very little value. I don't read that ticker tape that goes across the news at the bottom. Um, some people do. I don't. I don't pay attention to it because that, I don't have an investment in it. Our interest follows our investment. It's just the way it works. And if you're sitting there going, man, I just, church is dull. It's boring. I'm not interested in the kingdom of God. I'm, I have to drag myself here. Well, then let me suggest to you what you need to do to change the way you feel is to invest yourself in the kingdom. Whether it's your time and your talents, your money, you know, some of the ways that people are on the fringe and then they, they get involved in a program and all of a sudden you see them at church all the time. They got involved uh, or you might have somebody um, give them a job to do and, and they do that job and then you start seeing them they're more and more because they've, they've invested themselves in the work of the Lord. I'm just saying, if we want to have Jesus to be our everything, you're going to have to take the step to invest in him. And if you're waiting for a convenient time, that'll never come. You remember in Acts chapter 24 when uh, Paul was born before Felix, and, and Felix made that statement, um, come back at a more convenient season and, and I'll hear you again. Uh, we sometimes wonder if Felix ever had another time or opportunity. I hear people say that all the time. I wonder if Felix ever had another opportunity uh, to talk to Paul. Well, yeah, the text, just keep reading the text. He had many more opportunities. He called Paul to him many times after that and would talk with him in hopes of getting money from him. But he never found the time to do what was right and, and to obey uh, the Lord. But... It, Okay, when are you going to have a convenient time? All right, well, you know what? I'm just a teenager. I've got, like, school. I've got homework. I've got sports. I've got band. I've got all this stuff. I've got term papers. Um, but when I get through with high school, I'll be there. You know, I'm just a youth right now. Do you remember that statement? Jeremiah chapter 1. God said, don't tell me you're just a youth. I've called you, and I'll equip you to the task that I've given you. There, there, so young people say, okay, well, but just let me get through high school, and then, and then you're in college, and now you've got hours, and you've got bigger term papers and, and more work. Well, when I get out of school, when I get that diploma, man, I'm going to be there. You get out of school, and now you have a job. And you're, you're tied up with that. And, and then, well, as soon as I get to a certain level, I can kind of, I don't have to work so hard in my job. And, and then you're married. And then you have children. And then those children become teenagers. <laughs> and, and now your hands are really busy. And what we end up doing is uh, we wish our life away. 
I will, I promise. I'm going to get involved in the work of the Lord. Just when, when it slows down a little bit for me, and, and I'll tell you when it slows down, when you're much, much older. And the reason it slows down is because you don't have any control over it at that point. You're tired, and you don't have energy to do. You've wasted the greater portion of your life and your strength on other things other than the Lord. Don't wait until you retire and you have time then to serve the Lord. You've got to invest yourself. Invest yourself in the Lord and, and then um, your interest in him will follow. Uh, let me say this too, and I, I know I'm talking to brethren and, and I know that the people that are here see this and know this, but folks, we need to talk about it. Christianity demands our all. It, it demands self-sacrifice and self-denial. And that's not easy to tell yourself no. And I'm seeing that we live, um, can I call it in a post-Christian culture? We live in a time when the people of God don't really impact our culture like we once did. When I was growing up, I played baseball, basketball. I did all the sports, did, did all that. But you know what? We never had a game on a Wednesday night. Do you remember those days? You wouldn't have a game on a Wednesday night because everybody knew everybody goes to church on Wednesday night. That's Bible study. But somewhere along the way, the world tested us and scheduled a game, and let's see what those believers in Jesus will do. And we went to the game. And, and from that day on, we've been going to games. The world has won and, and pulled us right along. If all those people who are Christians and who even just profess loyalty to Jesus in some way or another, if they would rise up with one voice and say, we're not going to have it. We're not going to go. Our children will be at Bible study. They'd change it. It wouldn't be the way it is. We can go right down the street from the building at Carnes, and there's a huge church there, and they have this sports complex, and it runs all day long on Sunday, including Sunday nights when everybody's at church, they continue to play right on through church with their sports games. And this is a church that I'm talking about. Here's my question. When are we going to show that God really is first in our lives? Um, there's a statement made in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 8 where Abraham <clears throat> said, I'm going to build an altar to God, and I'm going to pitch my tent. And if I can use that expression, I want to make an application from it, because I think that we have just totally done the opposite of what Abraham did. Abraham pitched his tent and built an altar to the Lord. When you pitch a tent, like I might put my tent over here, but... If I learn that, well, that's where, you know, the rain comes and the water washes out, well, I'm going to pick that tent up and I'm going to move it over here out of the way. It's movable. You just pitch your tent. But the altar of God, that was something that was built and it was stationary and, and did not move. 
That's what Abraham did. And if you can uh, picture the, the allegory or the, the, the illustration, what we've done is exactly opposite of Abraham. We pitch our altars and build our tents. We have, man, we got social life. We've got school. We've got extracurricular activities. We have baseball and basketball and football and soccer and band and theater and drama. And we've, we've got this list. And, well, we got to do all these things. Oh, those fall. The, oh, we got a conflict. That's going to conflict my relationship with God. We got church on that night. Who wins? When there's a conflict, seldom do I see God win. I see us pitching our altar. Well, listen, we've got we got to go to a game tonight. We can't go to church. We got we we can't go to Bible study. We have a game, so we're going to go to the game because we built our tent, our social life. We just have to pitch the altar and move it to a different time. If you want to make Jesus your everything, you're going to have to invest yourself in the right things, the things of the Lord. And then your interests will follow. If we continue to invest in all the wrong things, then we'll continue to flounder and say, after 15 years go by, well, you know, I'm about where I was 15 years ago. I haven't really grown. I'm not much different of a person than I was 15 years ago. Our life should look differently than that. If, if there was a child at the age of one, and it's cute as a button, and you come back 10 years, and that child looks just the same as it did 10 years earlier, you'd say something's wrong. If we look the same, spiritually that we did 10 years ago there's something wrong we're not growing and developing as we should invest yourself if you want jesus to be your everything second thing that i'd like for you to do is and this is really simple and we don't talk about this that much but it does make a difference in our life and it's this realize the presence of god in your life you're not going through this life all by yourself. God is with you. He sees everything that you do. And, and realize the power that is tied up in, in his presence. Uh, let me give you an example. There was a woman about 80 or 90 years ago who had electricity run to her house for the very first time and she was really excited about it she heard how lights worked you know this is she's one of the first people and so they ran electricity to her house and the first time they flipped that light on she was oh, unbelievable i mean who would have thought you just flip a light and the light comes she was so happy and she thanked those guys who had wired her house and off they went two months later they came back and they wanted to check on things because they said it hadn't registered that she had hardly used any electricity. They said, is there a problem? And she said, no, I love it. It's wonderful. Well, but we don't understand that because your meter has hardly registered any usage at all. And she said, I use it every day. So they said, well, can you tell us how you use this? And she said, well, sure. Um, you know, I, when, it, when it gets about dusk, I'll, I'll flip that light on so that I can see to light my candle and I'll turn it back off. 
Well, that woman isn't taking full advantage of what she has, right? She can do a whole lot more than what she has if she only realized, and that's us. If we realized what we had at our fingertips, we could do so much more for the Lord. He's present with us, and there's tremendous power in his presence. My, my daughter, the very first day she went to kindergarten, my oldest daughter, she had this little backpack on, I don't know, some kind of princess thing on it. And she was, oh, you know, I, I didn't want her to go to school. You know how you are. And I said, Kelly, why don't you just stay home? And she said, no, Daddy, I have to go to school. You know, and she gave me the lecture. And so off she went. She had to get on a bus. And she got on this bus. And you know what I did? I got in my car. And I followed her to school. And I saw her get off the bus and go into school, and then I went on to work. And you know where I was at 2.30? I was right there back at school, sitting in the parking lot. I watched her get on the bus, and I followed her home. Now, was I doing that to catch her doing something wrong? Or was my presence there because I loved and I wanted to protect her? I wanted to help her if anything went wrong. God's presence is not a divine um, spy that, oh, got him. We got him. You know, he's not there trying to catch us in doing something wrong. His presence, Psalm 139, he's everywhere. We can't escape it, the passage says. And that's not meant to be a threat, though it may be to some people. That's meant to be a, a, a sigh of relief. Oh, I'm so thankful that God sees everything because then that means he knows what I'm going through and, and in his providence, he'll look out for me and, and take care of me. When things are so bad, I, I know that God is still with me and this is going to be okay. It doesn't mean it's going to be fun, but it will be okay because God sees and he's with me. There's tremendous power in presence my youngest son <clears throat> was about six. My youngest daughter was about two. And it would be maybe nighttime sometimes, and we'd be up in the upstairs. And I would say, Matthew, I, I forgot that magazine downstairs by my, my chair. Could you run down and get it for me? Downstairs. Uh, you want me to go downstairs? Yeah, go, go downstairs and get But it, it's dark. Well, well, flip a light on. Would you go downstairs and get, yeah, but um, nobody's down there. Well, I know, but would you just go downstairs and get the, you know, he's afraid to go downstairs by himself. So you know what he would invariably do? Hey, Anne-Marie, you want to go downstairs with me? She's two. What's, if there is something downstairs that would get him, what's she going to do to help? She's two. Now, later I figured it out. He was going to sacrifice her and make his getaway, I think. But, but he's two. The pres or she was two. But the presence of just a two-year-old empowered him to do what he otherwise was unwilling to do. When I was a boy, we had four or five doors before you got to my bedroom, which to me at nighttime meant... 
that's four or five opportunities for somebody to jump out at you and get you before you got to bed. And I was scared when my mom would say, it's time to go to bed, Steve. I didn't want to walk down that hallway. I, I was afraid. And so I grew up like my little years. I was, it was in the 60s. And do you remember the Batman, Adam West, Burt Ward, Batman and Robin, Biff, Bam, Pow, you know, all those. You remember that show? I loved that show. So I ordered a button, and, and it, it says, I don't know if you can see this or not. You can ask to see it on your way out. It says, charter member of the Batman and Robin Society. Man, a charter member of the Batman and Robin Society. And I would pin this to my pajamas, and I'd walk down out. Nobody's going to mess with me. I'm a charter member of the Batman and Robin Society. This button empowered me. Just the presence of a button empowered me to do what I otherwise was unwilling to do. What would the power or what power is there in the recognition that God, the, the, the one who created this universe by his words, He's with me. How much assurance should that give me? No matter what comes my way in life, I, man, I've got God with me. It's going to be okay. I, I love the statement in Daniel chapter 3 when Daniel, uh, well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the fiery furnace. You remember the whole story, but it, there's an interesting statement. I don't know if you've ever noticed it in the latter part of that chapter, verses 22 through 26. Daniel, or excuse me, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into that fiery furnace. The guys who threw them in are dead because of the heat, and, and they're in this fiery furnace. And you know what Nebuchadnezzar had to say? He said... Would you guys come out of there? Who has to be asked to come out of a fire? I mean, if we had a bonfire out here and we're playing around and we grab somebody by their arms and ankles and toss them in the bonfire, would you have to say, hey, you better get out of there? Uh, you don't have to tell a person to get out of fire. They'll get out of fire. But what, why did he have to tell them to leave? Well, you remember what he saw? When he looked in, he saw a fourth presence, one like one of the sons or son of the gods. Um, the presence of God was in there with them. And the presence of God apparently had so distracted them from their present circumstances, they had to be told to leave. That's the power of God's presence. Your life can be falling apart, but you know that God is with you and you can deal with it because you know that he is with you, his presence. There's a statement made of uh, the prophet Elisha. Uh, Syria had kept, they were every turn, every plan, every military uh, adventure, they were being outwitted by Israel and the king of Syria said, I, we've got a traitor here. Which one of you is telling 
Israel, what we're going, what we have planned. And they said, eventually, no one, we're all loyal to you. But there's this prophet of God in Israel. And God is telling him all your plans, even the ones you have in your bedroom at night. He's telling the prophet and the prophet's telling the king. And that's why we can never win. So then the king said, well, then we got to kill Elisha. And under the cover of darkness, they surrounded the city that Elisha was in. And in the morning, Elisha's servant went outside and he looked and he saw they were surrounded. He comes running back in and says, Elisha, they're all around us. We're dead. We're doomed. There's no hope. And Elisha, calm as can be, said, Lord, open his eyes. And the Lord opened his eyes and he saw that there were chariots of fire encompassing the city. God's angels were there to protect them. Don't you know that he must have breathed a sigh of relief? Oh, I was really scared there for a minute because I saw all the enemy out there. I didn't see God's presence, but now that I do, shoo, can't you imagine that? That's the power of God's presence. If we want to make Jesus our everything, we need to invest ourselves. We need to, to realize he is with us. And, and the promises of Romans 8 and verse 28, how that he'll work things together for our good, those promises of taking care of us and, and us casting our cares upon him uh, because he cares for us, man, that should give me tremendous comfort. And it does. Listen, if you've lived long enough to have life kind of rattle your cage pretty good and break your heart, then you'll come to appreciate the presence of God in your life. It'll be okay. There are things that are going to hurt and crush you in life, but it's only temporary because God sees and he'll take care of us. And here's the third and final point is this. We, if you want to make Jesus your everything, well, then consider your options. Consider the cost, if you will. If you don't make him your everything, you know you've chosen hell for yourself. You don't want that. When, when I was a boy, do you remember in the 70s and 60s, that the bicycles weren't like they are today. They, they had those handlebars that came up like that, you know, the big U in them, and then the banana seats. You remember the banana seats? I had a huffy cheater slick um, bicycle. Cheater slick was on that little chain guard, and it had this smoke rolling off a tire, and the back tire of my bike was like, it had no tread. It was just slick like a drag race you know, a drag uh, racer car. And, and I thought it was so cool. And the fender flared up on it. It was a great bike. I loved it. All my kids in the neighborhood, they loved, but I had had it for a couple of years. And one of my neighbors came up one time and he had this bike that wasn't very good. And he, he had a $5 bill. And he said, um, I'll give you this $5 bill if you'll give me your bike. I didn't have a $5 bill. So I said, sure. Traded my bike for $5, went home, sat down at the table, told my mom and dad very proudly of what I had done. Look what I have. Where'd you get that? I sold my bike to David for $5. You sold your bike for $5. 
was that not a good deal? No, it wasn't a good. And then they explained to me the value of money and how much that bike cost. And all of a sudden, I wasn't happy with the deal I had made. But you know what? They wouldn't let me undo it. They, uh, I walked everywhere <laughs> the rest of that summer. Um, and I learned a lesson uh, that day. We've got to make decisions in life, and decisions have consequences. And if you make bad decisions, there are negative consequences that are going to follow. And uh, if there's one thing that you can do as a parent is instill that reality in the minds of your children. Quit protecting them and hovering over them in every little thing. They don't do their homework, so we do their homework for them because we don't want them to experience a bad outcome. Maybe they need to experience a bad outcome and learn responsibility. And that's the truth with our relationship with God as well. If we don't own up and take responsibility, if we don't make Jesus our everything, there are consequences that are going to follow. Jacob and Esau made a deal one time. You remember that? He sold, Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. Silly, foolish. And when his hunger was satisfied, man, he regretted it. He repented of what he did, but he could find no place to undo what he had done. He regretted it. I wonder how many people have to stand before God someday and how many people who have already left this world and are in the Hadean realm and they're thinking, why in the world did I trade my relationship, my birthright for little more than a bowl of soup? Listen, the human soul is sold on an auction block every day for things that amount to nothing. I know a person who became unfaithful to God because he mowed yards and he thought that was a pretty cool thing. And so he started mowing to get a little bit ahead. He started mowing on Sundays and he spent all day mowing on Sundays and he forsook the assemblies and gave up on God and left God completely. And how's that story going to fly with God? Lord, yeah, I used to be faithful, but I gave all that up because uh, I was more interested in grass are you kidding me? You sold your soul for grass? And there are a host of other things that people, how about the contents of a bottle? People will sell their soul for that. And a host of other things, a grudge, hard feelings that you won't repent of. We've got to weigh the cost. If I don't give Jesus my everything, what's it going to cost me? Well, only your soul. You might think twice about that. Jesus said, what shall it profit a man, in Matthew chapter 16, if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Well, there's no fair deal. And so tonight I want to call you to greater faithfulness to God so that we can sing these songs. He is my everything. He is my all. 
I want you to be able to sing that song so that when your children hear you sing it, they believe you. They, they look at your life and they know that is absolutely true of my mom and dad. They, he really is their everything. I want us to be able to sing all of the or none of self and all of the. I, I want us to mean that all to Jesus all to Jesus, I surrender. I want us to be able to really sing that. Jesus is all the world to me. If we can't sing those songs truthfully, we've got some changes to do, to make. And if you've been saying, yeah, I know that, and I've just not known how to do it and what to do about it, well, I've given you three things tonight that I think will help. I, I, Invest yourself. Take the initiative. Don't wait till you feel it. Feelings are a terrible engine. They make a great caboose. They come along later. But you, you invest yourself in the work of the Lord and your interests will follow. And, and then once you're invested, realize whatever happens, he's with you and he's looking after you and he's not oblivious to the hardships that you're going through. He'll take care of you. And, and if that's not enough, remember, man, there's a high price to choosing something over God. You, you don't want that. If you're here tonight and you're not yet a child of God, why don't you decide to make that decision tonight to give yourself to him, to make him your everything so that heaven will be your home someday. Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized should be saved. I absolutely believe that. And if you do, you'll do exactly what he said. If you haven't done that, we'll assist you in doing that tonight. If you're a child of God already, but unfaithful, maybe there are things that you've wandered and you want to come back and say, you know, tonight I want to start doing better. I want to draw the line in the sand. I want your prayers so that I can be more faithful. We'll pray with you to that end if you'll come as we stand together and sing.